Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we got a uh, brand new episode on a pretty new movie, obviously with everything going on, quarantine and all that, where we're a little mixed up in our schedule, where we just started that uh, special series, the Missing Pieces series on older movies, and we're still going to try to cover some newer movies, and we're just going to be kind of all over the place for a little while, but this is a movie that just came out a couple weeks ago on VOD after doing some uh, very infamous film festival screenings. It is Glenn Danzig's Veronica. This is a completely nuts movie. Um, it was... It was fun to watch, let's put it that way. Would have been more fun with a crowd, I think, rather than alone on my couch with my dog and cats. But uh, I still had some good laughs during it, and I had a great time talking about it with our first-time guest co-host, Michael Keane. Michael was on the show once before back when we did a live episode last year on his film The Head at the Sin City Horror Fest, and we had him on after we had a regular Piecing It Together conversation in front of a crowd, and it was a great time, and hopefully you checked that uh, episode out. But now he's on as a regular co-host, and I'm really happy to have him here. So we're going to get into that in a second, but I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can, of course, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. So uh, we'll talk to you a little more after the conversation about some of the stuff that's going on with the show and everything. But uh, for now, let's jump into this conversation about Verotica. <music> All right, so joining us today, we've got filmmaker Michael Keane. How's it going, Michael? Oh, it's it is certainly going. I think that is a that is a way to put it. It is it is going. Um, I uh, I'm having a good time. It's you know I'm under quarantine. I'm watching a lot of movies. Yeah. Um, some of those movies are amazing you know pieces of of true art that i will never forget mm. and others are verotica yeah <laughs> i was gonna say I, I wonder if we're gonna find out whether this is a uh, piece of art during this conversation but i guess we're we're getting right to it huh <laughs> um you know it's it is art just by virtue of being a moving picture yes so there's it, it uh, checks those boxes at least yeah 
<laughs> well, Michael, it's your first time actually co-hosting an episode for people uh, listening. Michael is the filmmaker whose film The Head we covered on our live episode uh, last year, and then he joined us at the end of the conversation to uh, get get some some thoughts and feedback from him. But uh, since it's your first time co-hosting an episode, why don't you tell people a little about yourself and what you do? Um, well, I, uh, I am a, a filmmaker in quotation marks. I have, <laughs> have made two films uh, so far. Hopefully I'll eventually get to three once, you know, the world stops being in apocalypse mode. Sure. Um, but uh, I made Fatal Future, which is a, um, kind of a tribute to Neil Breen and other so-called bad filmmakers out there. Uh, which a lot of people have mistaken for just another bad movie, which it may or may it may or may not be. I don't know. Sure. Um, and then I also directed The Head, which of course uh, you covered already um, on this show, and that's kind of my uh, you know if I die tomorrow, it's my masterpiece. Uh, but it was a <laughs> shot on VHS tribute to well, shot on VHS horror movies mm. uh, about a mannequin head that drinks blood and the man that loves her. And um, yeah, that's. Kind of my thing. I also have a YouTube channel um, where I just talk about m- movies that most people don't give a fuck about. Uh, mm. I, I did a whole video recently about uh, Let My Puppets Come, the uh, <laughs> puppet porno. Um, and I actually just yesterday got a big old shipment of Vinegar Syndrome pornos in for uh, future videos about that sort of 70s and 80s porno industry. Don't expect any um, tributes to those uh, as far as my actual films go, just because... Uh, yeah, various reasons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just a, just a low-end filmmaker. Just another one of those guys. <laughs> another one of them. Another one of them. Well, uh, I, I think that this is going to be a fun conversation. I know uh, this movie, Veronica, Glenn Danzig's, is his directorial debut, I believe, other than it's, maybe some video stuff. Um, yeah, this is his first feature film. Uh, yeah. But not his last. He's already... <laughs> finished his vampire spaghetti western uh which i looked up uh an article and uh i don't remember all the names but one of the names was julian sands uh so it's gonna be uh uh, we got a a good decade of quality danzig i think Uh, coming up yeah, the, the the next era of, of cinema. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, so th- this should be a lot of fun. And I know you like with the the uh, the background of film that that you have and the stuff that you love um, are probably going to have some really interesting puzzle pieces uh, to go with this one. I I think let's jump right in. What do you got for your first puzzle piece for Veronica? Uh, so this one, I feel like you probably have this one too. Um, Eyes without a face. Sure. Uh, yeah, from 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 1960, uh, Georges Franjou, I think it's the director's name. Anyway, um, mm. so it is a uh, masterpiece of French horror cinema. Um, 1960, uh, kind of the era in which I think Danzig was kind of aping from the 60s and the 70s um, European horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty obvious. I did, I, I did cheat a little bit. Um, I already had this as a puzzle piece, but I was looking at old, uh, I say old interviews from last year with Danzig. Mm-hmm. Um, they are and, very, uh, very, very entertaining by the yeah. way. He, he's, <laughs> by the way, I just, I just want to put this out there ahead of the game. Glenn Danzig seems like a legitimately nice, lovely person, uh, who's just like this little muscly nerd mm-hmm. who, who does love these titles. 
Um, right. I firmly believe him when he brings them up. I do kind of get a bit of a snickering in me whenever he tries to like pronounce the the foreign titles. Like he'll say, I don't even know how to say it myself, but like Le You Sans Vichage. Um <laughs> he could just say it with eyes without a face. We all know what it is. <laughs> sure. And he, and he treats it like it's this like super obscure film that no one has heard of. And and almost every horror fan who's like worth their salt has at least knows what Eyes Without a Face is sure. uh, or has seen it. I mean, I think it was one of my first Criterion DVDs I ever owned um, back in the day. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's it's a major piece of filmmaking. And he certainly took it very literally in his uh, inspiration uh, for this film. Uh, the entire second segment, of course, apes Eyes Without a Face. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think also that's something, uh, you know, most people listening should have already watched the movie. Obviously, we're getting lots of spoilers in this. Uh, but for those who haven't watched it yet, it is a series of vignettes stitched together and each one kind of has a different kind of horror influence. So I'm sure a lot of our puzzle pieces are going to, uh, you know, be wide ranging because of the different vignettes having different influences. But the Eyes Without a Face one is... Yeah, 100%, like, just, that's what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give him this. It's the only one that I 100% was like, yes, that is the exact influence. The yeah. other two, I, well, the third film, or the third short, I uh, I don't really watch a lot of um, the uh, Bathory-type movies. There's a lot of Bathory yeah. movies out there. I just don't care <laughs> that much yeah. about those types of movies. Uh, I do have one for that later, but... Uh, this is the one where I was like, yes, Eyes Without a Face. The first time I watched it, I was like, okay, well, obviously he really likes that. Um, and uh, it's also worth noting that all of these are directly based on comics from his Verotic line sure. of comic books. Um, and so I don't know, this would have been sometime in the mid-90s, I guess, um, that whatever this, I don't, know, what, what, I don't remember what this uh, segment was called, but... Um, he already, I mean, just pillaged all these influences, and I feel like he hasn't actually watched a movie since. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, just used it all, made up the comic, and then it's just been like, I don't know, just coasting since then. Yeah. <laughs> just waiting for his chance to to make this, this epic. Um, <laughs> all right, I'll go with uh, another piece here. Uh, I, I've got a few that have to do with the whole... Uh, neckbreaker character uh so i I will start with uh the wishmaster series uh Mm -hmm. the the whole the the jinn i believe is how you pronounce that that particular kind of character a jinn yeah Uh, Yeah, i'm gonna go ahead and take that off my list (laughs) okay cool i'm sure we'll have some overlap around here uh but yeah that character uh, totally reminded me of that that just total over the top scenery chewing just just really just uh, just going for it kind of a character with the big accent and the big facial maneuvers with every single line delivery and uh, it, it's it's a fun character it's completely ridiculous and fun is a weird word for a uh, a spider demon that wants to rape people but <laughs> but uh it, yeah in the ass specifically uh but uh, that that's what we got here with this movie Veronica. yeah um I, <laughs> I, I i as i said i had wishmaster um what's interesting i actually did some research just a few minutes ago while i was um you know kind of prepping mm-hmm. um so as i said all of these are based on comic books 
so Albino Spider of Dejet, uh, the comic book actually mm-hmm. came out first in... 1997 or 1998 i can't quite i I believe it's 1997 because there's been Mm. there's like a few different um i think it's number one came out in 97 and there's like a number zero comic that came out i don't know it's it's a whole bunch of dates but it looks like 1997 it came out same year as robert kurtzman's wishmaster Mm. um odd Mm. i'm just gonna say it just put it out there odd odd Um, wow it it must have been in the ether or something at that moment huh yeah i uh I'm I'm honestly surprised we don't have like um you know uh, Robert England Andrew Divoff um Tony Todd cameos and all that stuff uh in in this film. Actually I'm not not su- I'm actually I'm not surprised because um they wouldn't be caught dead near this <laughs> <Yeah>. movie. <laughs> exactly. They did not return phone calls. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Uh <laughs> All right, what do you got for your next piece? Uh so this next one I don't I okay, I'm going to I don't think that Glenn Danzig's actually seen this movie, um, mm-hmm. but I see it as a puzzle piece because it's the same concept uh, for the creation of the film, except done poorly, and that's Sin City. Uh, mm. So I, I remember where I, one of the Glenn Danzig interviews, uh, he uh, actually, no, it wasn't an interview. It was um, another podcast. I'm sorry, I'm cheating on you. Um, the, <laughs> there was a podcast that covered Veronica. Um, called Astro Radio Z, and they one of the guys actually went out and bought the Verotic comics, mm. uh, and <laughs> spent way too much money. And apparently, they are one to one recreations of the comic books or the movies, the one to one recreation of the comic books, which explains why, like, a lot of the geography, um, my brain is gone after watching this twice. Um, I'm sure. Uh, but a lot of the geography in the film doesn't make any sense. There's in the first segment, uh, the young woman's uh, uh, boobie, uh, her her tits that are staring at people, um, (laughs) cries. And so a little tear drops from the the tit eye, and it lands on a spider that is across the room on top of a vase on a table. Mm -hmm. Zero sense is made. Um, No. And uh, it's it's I think it's just because he was so dedicated to making this a one to one of the comics that he wrote. So it's just the panels in the comic book, but those don't necessarily line up in a real way. Yeah, because I mean, when you're you're, when you're creating a set, when you're you know designing cinematography, it's not going to be a one to one. Sin City, of course, famously is about as close to a one to one adaptation as you can get for a comic book. Uh, except it works really well and is actually a pretty fucking good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and a part of that is, you know, when you're adapting material, you can be really, really faithful, but you have to make adjustments based on what you have. Um, obviously, sure. Sin City almost entirely shot on green screen. That helps a lot. But I remember reading the comics uh, and watching the movie and saying, okay, well, there's these little differences to make it work, um, but the aesthetic is still there and the overall visual appeal is still there. Um, and I don't think Glenn realizes that. I think that he's the type of person to take um, the idea of being faithful way too far, sure. uh, which I get. I understand that. Um, Fatal Future is a slow-moving, poorly-paced film because it's based on poorly-paced films. Um, <laughs> and I will always regret that to some degree. Uh, so I get it. <laughs> I understand. But holy shit, he is way too faithful to his own material. Um, right. And I, I think part of that is also no one was really there to tell Glenn no. 
um, based on the interview I read with some uh, music blog or whatever, uh, he, like, I guess didn't want anybody telling him what to do during this movie. He didn't want any executives to, you know, big Hollywood types to tell him he's wrong. That does not surprise me one bit. <laughs> and here's the thing, Glenn. You need those. Like, the, the, my, I would not say that The Head is a particularly great film, but the reason it's as good as it is and as fun as it is is I had several people around me all the time who were saying, eh, maybe you want to not do that. And that's important. It doesn't mean you always mm. have to listen to them, but you should take that that influence you know i mean right. george lucas famously did not take any influence for the prequels and that was a painful experience for all of us right uh so sin city <laughs> there you go no i like i like that it's great puzzle piece and I, it makes me wonder uh i i just looked up uh the budget for sin city was 40 million dollars i wonder what uh verotica looks like with 40 million dollar budget I, I wonder, still Glenn Danzig, but a $40 million budget. I, I would like uh, to think that it would be better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> possibly. So uh, I'll go with another piece. Uh, this kind of speaks to the character design. We, of course, have that, uh, the woman with the, the eyes for nipples. We have uh, the... We have the Neckbreaker. We have a lot of other crazy characters. I thought of Mortal Kombat. Uh, <laughs> just these, yeah, these just these kind of ridiculous characters that seem like they are, uh, you know, maybe created like by a fourteen-year-old boy or something like that, and just just totally ridiculous and using all these kind of genre influences and uh, uh, mythical influences and stuff like that and horror stuff to combine into some just really silly but fun creature design kind of things. And also another point is I love that the spider uh, has his own VFX uh, credit in yeah. the opening credits, <laughs> which was pretty fun. Uh, it's the worst. It's the worst. God damn it. <laughs> so yeah, just, uh, just that kind of just ridiculous, uh, totally um, silly character design element just reminded me of Mortal Kombat characters. Yeah, um, I yeah I, I I didn't think of Mortal Kombat, um, but I will actually um, immediately follow up with uh, a similar film as far mm -hmm. as like character design and influence that I only thought of when you were leading up to Mortal Kombat. I thought you were going to use this heavy metal. Sure, sure. I feel like that because I know that uh, I know that Glenn does not like modern movies. Uh, he has said as much. He thinks mm -hmm. that they're all trash. He thinks that no good horror is made anymore, which, um, Glenn, uh, you need to get a, a Shutter subscription. <laughs> yeah, and, it's free uh, for 30 days right now during yeah, the uh, shutdown. Yeah, just, just, just take it all <laughs> in, Glenn, because uh, you're, you're very wrong. Um, but Heavy Metal uh, is another one. It's also an anthology film based on comics made for adults uh, mm -hmm. and has very little narrative which I think is a big thing here. I think that there is uh, almost zero narrative on display. Uh, Albino Spider of Dejet is easily the most narrative driven, and it's still like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, and Heavy Metal works because there's so many vignettes. Um, I don't even remember how many, but there's, it seems like they go in fairly rapid succession uh, in that film with very little, you know, there's... There's definitely 
uh, you know, they, they lead somewhere, but they don't have like narratives that pop in your mind. Like I can't even remember, you know, there's like the taxi cab driver who kills the chick when she turns on him after a bit of a noirish escapade or whatever. Sure. Um, that's all I can really think of. And yeah, I haven't seen it since high school and, uh, I, I can't remember any individual pieces either of that movie. Yeah, it's all it's all just like a smorgasbord of heavy metal covers, really. Yeah, um, yeah. And I feel like that's maybe what Glenn wanted with this movie. Like now that I'm, I don't know why I never I didn't think about this before when I was putting together my pieces, but there's a very big heavy metal influence. Um, that, and I'm sure if you brought it up in an interview, he'd be like, "Fuck yeah, man, heavy metal." Yeah, um, that's how <laughs> Danzig talks. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. That's a great piece. And I'm surprised I didn't think of that either because it totally, I mean, this movie does have so much of that, uh, you know, so much, so much, you know, rock album cover, you know, feel to it. Uh, and, and that's, you know, such a heavy metal thing as well. So it totally fits in there. And yet shockingly, not a very rock and roll movie. <laughs> No, not really. I mean, it's you know what? I might as well. Uh, I was going to mention this early, uh, later in the conversation, but uh, I, I might as well just jump into this one. I was going to say, just in general, French cinema. Uh, you know, you already brought up Eyes Without a Face, but just the idea that he had all of his actors apparently uh, have you know take voice coaches for French accents and like you know clearly he just has some idea of like this elevated kind of thing like like that it was going to be this classy thing where everyone has these these accents and stuff yeah. and uh and so i mean i think that there's some you know maybe delusion of grandeur there a little bit but uh just to think that this fits in with like a french cinema kind of a, a feel or something like that yeah um i actually have um let's see i think i have two more french movies on my uh, well one and a half french movies yeah on my okay. list um yeah it, it, he he loves european horror I, let's, i'll give him that he definitely loves european horror movies i don't know that he really gets them in particular but he definitely french and italian are it looks like are his two biggest influences sure um, and actually uh, my next puzzle piece is blood blood and black lace uh which mm -hmm. is um mario bava movie from the uh fuck late 60s, I think 68. Mm -hmm. uh, and Blood and Black Lace is probably the one that I see the most visually. Uh, and it doesn't actually have to be Blood and Black Lace. It could be a whole menagerie of Mario Baba movies. But that's the one that I think really kind of uh, changed the landscape. Uh, I think you know, it was, it's well known as like the first real Giallo film. Uh, it's either that or Evil Eye. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, it's a lot of harsh, um, bright colors, a lot of primary colors, just very heavy blue, red, pink, uh, whatever. Uh, it's very stylish. And I think that I, I get the feeling that Danzig saw uh, movies like that, um, like Blood and Black Lace. And he took that basic color palette and said, OK, I like primary colors now. Right, right. But he didn't consider why they're being used. He didn't consider how the camera is being used in the same scene. Uh, I know he went to uh, the uh, like New York Institute for Photography or whatever for college. Um, I'm shocked by that, frankly. Um, <laughs> and I don't. I, I really. I hate being mean, but he just right, yeah. doesn't seem to understand how 
the camera works. He knows that these, you know, these visuals exist, these flourishes. Uh, there's several split diopter shots, uh, which I'm not even sure he had a diopter for this. It might just be a composite, but um, there's right. several split diopter shots throughout the film uh, and a lot of colorful lighting. But, you know, I, I actually rewatched Blood and Black Lace last night um, while under the influence of drugs. And uh, <laughs> like there's all these amazing dolly shots, which uh, Mario Bava uh, got by using like a child's. Um, uh, uh, pushy cart thing. I don't know why I can't think of wagon. Uh, child's sure. wagon. Um, and they just look like amazing uh, dolly shots that are really pushing the story story forward and making the most out of the space that he's utilizing. Uh, mm -hmm. Blood and Black Lace being a, a famously very cheap film, despite looking gorgeous. And you see what he what Glenn Danzig, who has the benefit of digital technology, uh. And, you know, living in L.A., surrounded by rental houses. And he couldn't really be bothered to do any, like, really nice dolly shots or anything. I'm sure that there are, I feel like there are some tracking shots, maybe. Right. I don't remember. There's got to be at least one or something. Yeah, I feel yeah. like like the camera moved a bit during, like, the strip club scenes, maybe. <laughs> that, that is where you would put the extra effort in. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you'd think. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he, he uh, movies like... Mario Bava's Blood Black Lace, he just seemed to take the uh, the basics and ignore the nuance. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I have never actually seen Blood and Black Lace, but I mean, what you're saying though makes total sense. Uh, I before I move on to my next piece, I I think just talking about some of that technical stuff. There's a uh, you know a lot of comparisons. If you go to any you know movie blog, they talk about this like a horror version of. Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Uh, do, do you think, as a filmmaker, do you think that Glenn Danzig is more or less technically uh, savvy than, than Tommy Wiseau making The Room? Um, that's a weird one. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. As far as this movie, if you were just taking the two movies and you ignore any behind-the-scenes knowledge, um, sure. I would say, in that sense, he's worse than, mm -hmm. than Tommy Wiseau. But... When you consider that Danzig did basically everything of note himself, he directed, he produced, he wrote, and he shot. And I, ref I know there's two cinematographers credited. I refuse to believe the other cinematographer did any work. I firmly believe that Glenn Danzig did 99.9% .9 of the cinematography in this movie. Um, right. I might be wrong, but that's just the feeling I get. Uh, Tommy Wiseau... If you actually read um, The Disaster Artist and you kind of get the behind the scenes uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Didn't know dick about filmmaking. <laughs> right. um, he knew he wanted to be a director, um, but he, he did not have any grasp of the technical um, aspects. And I guess he's probably gotten better. I haven't watched any of his follow-up stuff, but um, uh, I'm also not a, the biggest fan um, of The Room. But uh mm. You know, on the room, he did have a professional crew. He had a professional DP. He had all these professionals helping him. And, right. you know, he was shitty to them and he didn't do, you know, he, you know, squandered all of that uh, professionalism and then made a very profitable movie. So I can't really, you know, say he squandered it that bad. But um, I, I don't see that on <laughs> this movie. I, I see someone who did not hire the right people, um, who right. did not take the time to actually put like money where it needed to go. Um, you know, I, I, 
I'm not like, look, I, I don't have a very high opinion of myself as a filmmaker. I, I think I could have at least made this visually appealing while it is mm. not, or like, you know, edit, ed, done editing to make it reasonably <laughs> appealing um, right. or a script revision to, you know, there's all kinds mm -hmm. of things to do here that to make it so much better. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, it's, it's mixed. I would say that I guess he's more of like a, and this is a bit on, on the nose for me, but uh, he's a bit of a, more of a Neil Breen, I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, almost no budget as far as I can tell. Uh, right, right. You know, no interest in other people's input, which I know for a fact Neil Brain has a problem with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, a final product that is questionably entertaining. <laughs> that is a very uh, good way to put it. <laughs> All right, I'll go on to another piece here. Uh, I was going to use Orgasmo as a puzzle piece, the Trey Parker, Matt Stone comedy, uh, mainly because of the filling it up with a whole bunch of porn stars as actors. You really like using Orgasmo in these, don't you? <laughs> you did this for Velocipaster. I, I, I did use it for Velocipaster. I've only used it maybe three times, but I love that movie. It's, it's great. so good. Yeah, it's so damn good. Uh, and I, I was trying to think if there was a better example of a movie with a bunch of porn stars in it, but that was the one that I kind of just landed on, you know? Yeah, I would say if I was to go with like something with uh, maybe, I don't know, Caligula. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, it's, it's yeah, there's uh, a lot of porn stars and just like models. Who, like I know um, like Caden Cross plays Morella, um, Mar Mar I think is her name, uh, mm -hmm. the the host. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but like the, I, I can't remember all their names, but the girl who plays, uh, is is her name Dijet? I, I, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. <laughs> our pink haired protagonist in the first segment. Uh, there you go. She, uh, I think, is just an actress who happens to have really awkward implants. Um, mm. I don't think she, I don't, I, I am 90% certain she's not actually a porn star. I think she's just a model who made some mistakes. Um, <laughs> nothing against her. She seems nice. I'm just, yes. you know, she has made her chances of starring in the next, uh, big drama relatively low. Uh, right. but, um, yeah, or, orgasmo, uh, yeah, that works. You know, I, I can think of a lot of porn, but I can't think of any <laughs> films that Danzig would have watched that starred porn actors but we're not porn that's that's tough right yeah just to think like oh yeah i'm gonna uh i'm gonna i'm gonna hire as many porn actors that i can you know get in touch with or yeah whatever. which is such a weird like methodology too like sure you, you, again filming in la you have a who's who of young actors to choose from who have plenty of talent that would be happy to be in your movie you know it's a oh a movie from the guy the singer from the misfits fuck yes, yeah sign me up. Yeah. I, this is my big break awesome but instead you just get a bunch of porn stars and models who can't act what the fuck is why and then and then make them learn uh, a french accent learn is strong that. but yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's such an odd choice <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right what do you got for your next piece um this one's a bit of a cheat i actually uh this is the only one that i added to my list after listening to glenn danzig talk and I was mm -hmm. uncertain if I was going to add it, and then I watched it, and I knew I had to talk about it. 
Uh, and I feel like a fucking rube for never seeing this before. It, like all my horror, like art film cred is immediately tossed out the window. Uh, but I watched <laughs> Spirits of the Dead um, and uh, specifically the uh, segment Toby Dammit by Federico Fellini. Um, Spirits of the Dead itself is uh, an Edgar Allan Poe uh, trilogy of uh, stories. Um, the, fuck, I forgot his name, but the, uh, the director of Barbarella did a segment uh, with Jane Fonda, of course, same year, uh, 68. And um, Louis Mal directed uh, the middle segment, and then Federico Fellini uh, brought up the rear with the best of the bunch. Uh, honestly, like the first two are kind of fine to good. And mm. then uh, uh, Toby Dammit is one of the best horror shorts I've ever seen. Uh, it is extremely vibrant. Uh, it, like when I first started, because he had said Spirits of the Dead, he should have said. Um, Toby Dammit, because I would have saved so much of my own fucking time. Because um, the first two segments, I was like, how did this influence? Like, I can kind of see the first segment influencing uh, the third segment of his film, kind of, but I just couldn't see it. And then finally, Toby Dammit comes on, and it's a totally different movie. Starts off in this, like, beautifully, uh, I don't know if it's a set or a real airport, but it starts in this airport. And there's like all this weird, like there's some like weird technology going on. There's all these cardboard cutouts of people in the background that are really eerie. And you have Terrence Stamp just looking like a fucking zombie walking through, drugged out of his mind. Uh, there's this sunlight just pouring through the windows, like unnatural amounts of just bright orange sunlight. And you're just in for a fucking ride the whole way through. And um, it's gorgeous to look at. It's the exact opposite of this movie. And, uh, but I can see again, the, the vibrant colors, I can see the, um, kind of, uh, like there's not a lot of story to Toby Dammit. It's really just, you're following Terrence Stamp through like an award show and like talking to these producers and, uh, driving around in a, uh, brand new car. And then it has its twist ending and that's it. And it's very... You know, it's like 40 minutes long, not a whole lot happens, but it is visually very arresting, uh, which mm. I feel like, I feel like Danzig was kind of banking on this being so visually arresting and having so much what the fuckery that right. you, you know, were entranced like you might be. But the thing is, Federico Fellini, I don't know if you know this, uh, kind of a master of cinema, uh, you know, <laughs> a little, little bit of a master of cinema. And even though, again, not a whole lot happens, every minute you're just like strung along like, I, oh, this is fucking great. Whereas with um, Veronica, it honestly just kind of feels um, like you have like one good three minute set piece that's worth talking about at least. And then it goes for like five to 10 minutes with nothing happening. Uh, and that's not good when you have three stories that are all just 30 minutes long. Uh, right. And then kind of a part two to Spirits of the Dead being an influence. Uh, it's three stories, as I said. And I have this sneaking suspicion. So in Veronica, these stories have almost no real substance to speak of um they are mm -hmm. very like short 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 stories that are in turn expanded to 30 minutes and i think that glenn danzig loved spirits of the dead specifically loved toby dammit i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure he doesn't give a fuck about the other two but he cites right. the whole movie <laughs> as an influence 
And I think that he thought, and this kind of goes back to the Sin City puzzle piece, that he needed to be as exact in his influences as possible. And so he said, well, my, my anthology, my super artistic pseudo-European horror anthology needs to also be three segments long. No more, mm. no less. Uh, right. Because this really does feel like something that should be like maybe six segments long, but same runtime. Mm-hmm. And it's not. <laughs> uh, right. It's just kind of, you know, uh, elongated for no good reason. Um, so Spirits of the Dead. Highly recommend uh, Toby Dammit. It's on um, uh, Criterion, uh, the Criterion channel right now. You can just watch it by itself or with Spirits of the Dead. Uh, phenomenal movie. Sweet. Um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of that kind of points to something that we've been kind of talking about this whole time that it seems like his idea is, uh, get an idea and get a specific aesthetic and maybe everything else will work out. Yeah. <laughs> if, we, this, if we start This should rolling. be fine. This should yeah. be, I mean, how hard could it be? You know, yeah. Fellini could do it. I can do it. Come on. Exactly. My name is Glenn Danzig. This is how I talk now. I love the idea of this actually working out, and then we get a list of the great directors, Fellini, Glenn Danzig. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. I, uh, I only have a couple more, but I'll go first up. Uh, we kind of touched on it earlier briefly, but the Elizabeth Bathory uh, story, um, I just figured I'd use The Countess as an example of... Uh, of a film that inspired that whole segment of the the girl killing young girls to stay young with their blood and all that kind of stuff. There's obviously a lot of movies inspired by that story, a lot of different movies that we could use. I don't know. Did you have any other ones um, in mind? I put Daughters of Darkness, uh, but it's okay. kind of just a catch-all uh, for any um, Jean Roland film. Um, you know, he, he had that whole, you know, um, I think, Rape of the Vampire is one of them. Uh, I'm not mm-hmm. a big Jean Roland fan. Uh, I don't dislike his movies, but they're not like super appealing to me. Uh, but they're all just like lesbian vampires. What you gonna <laughs> do? Will this one have <laughs> pornography in it? I don't know. Watch to find out. Um, and uh, it seemed like he had a, a hefty. I'm pretty sure. Again, you you bring up Jean Roland in uh, an interview, and Glenn Danzig will just go on. For, for minutes at a time, uh, sure. describing all the ways his film is just like a Jean Roland film. Uh, which, you know what? <laughs> totally. Both have pacing issues. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good shared trait to, uh, to cite there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right, what do you got for your next piece? Um, let's see. I... I have a couple actually. I uh, I have a I have a uh, let's go with um, this is again kind of a catch all, but House of One Thousand Corpses. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that Glenn Danzig. I know that he there was a he was at the premiere for Three from Hell, so I know he must be um, some sort of Rob Zombie fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rob Zombie is similar, um, not that similar, but similar to Glenn Danzig in that he is a rocker who made the transition to filmmaking. Uh, I think Rob Zombie did a better job of it, but um, sure, he you know wears his influences on his sleeve and his movies are kind of a hodgepodge of everything 
that he um, that kind of inspired him, as well as his kind of rocker aesthetic. Of course, his being kind of a rockabilly um, feel. So he has all those you know redneck characters and everything. And I feel like you know you look at an old Misfits music video and you see like Frankenstein and other classic movies being spliced in to their videos. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know Danzig is kind of the the shitty Rob Zombie in that way. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or, or the other way around, uh, Rob Zombie is Danzig listening to some studio notes, maybe. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that Rob Zombie is one of those guys who legitimately understands what makes these movies work. Uh, yeah. Sometimes he doesn't apply them as well to his own, but he definitely, you know, loves cinema. Uh, I know there's a, sure. a, a good chunk of time when he wanted to do a um, Marx Brothers movie, and that fell apart at some point. Um, mm-hmm. And he, you know, he, I think he is um, someone who kind of has the chops already to make a movie. He kind of like, I don't know, there's just like something about certain people where they just automatically are reasonably good at making movies. I think part of that is definitely the listening to criticism and being able to work with other people. Danzig. Mm-hmm seems like the kind of guy who, while again, very nice, isn't great at working with others. Um, and I think you need that. Um, but yeah, that's really my only, uh, also, I guess, you know, Rob Zombie likes to fuck with people and Glenn Danzig thinks that he's fucking with people. (laughs) That's a, that's interesting. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I'll go with my last piece, which I was just going to combine. I mean, this is pretty uh, basic here, but uh, just the whole anthology horror thing. I just thought of Creep Show and Tales from the Crypt mm. uh, as as other examples of that. Uh, but I mean, you know, just just uh, using that whole kind of uh, setup with with you know little horror stories. Then of course the the girl is kind of like a female crypt keeper kind of character uh, that that leads us through these stories, um, who's just totally hamming it up and, and all of that. So yeah, I mean, just those two, obviously there's been a bunch of other horror anthologies throughout this conversation and there's been plenty of them, uh, over the years, especially in, in kind of lower budget horror things. There's, you know, I know it's a pretty, uh, uh, you know, well-used, uh, you know, concept to do horror anthologies. So, uh, I just, pick those two as examples yeah um i mean yeah there's he 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 loves his comic anthologies that's for sure and yeah you know i'll give him this like i he his i've only seen like a little bit of the artwork for the comics um that he wrote mm-hmm. they're they're interesting <laughs> um like i'm <laughs> actually staring because i just have this page open uh the cover for albino spider of Dejet number one and it looks like um you know in uh, uh ninja scrolls where the um the big dude is like just straight up raping the I don't remember any of the characters' names, but in the early in Ninja Scroll, there's uh the character that gets raped, and there's like the guy's just like huge and has like these massive hands that are just like covering her <laughs> entire body, and it looks right. like that, but a spider demon on mm. the cover. Um, and it's it's interesting in sort of that like you know how like Rob Liefeld art is kind of you know it's yeah it's wrong. But it's interesting, you know, it has some artistic quality because of how wrong it is. And sure. that's kind of what I get from 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 this artwork. And so, you know, I, I think that I think that there's a style there that's ready to come out. And I think that he, you know, the comics seem dumb as shit, but 
uh, you know, I don't mind that as long as you're making something interesting. And Veronica is interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I only have a few. I'll, I'll just like rapid fire a few puzzle pieces for you. Perfect. Um, let's see. I have Suspiria, which kind of goes hand in hand with Blood and Black Lace. Um, Dario Argento, I'm sure, is another one of those filmmakers who he loves immensely. And actually, come to think of it, there's a lot of Argento movies that are very exploitative of the female body. Uh, mm. That, like, I feel, I almost feel like, um, uh, uh, is it uh, Mother of Tears? I feel like Mother of Tears might have been a. Uh, this has like a Mother of Tears vibe, where it almost like looks like a porno, um, mm. and is not, you know, it's not quite what it is meant to be. Uh, if only because the director was a little too late to get in on it. Um, so I'd add Mother of Tears mm. and Suspiria. Um, pieces. I don't know if everyone's ever used Pieces on your show before, but... Um, I don't believe so. Yeah. No, I, I don't know that film. Actually. Okay, Pieces is um, 1982. It's the director of Slugs. Um, which, mm. Oh, wait, is it Slugs? Fuck, I'm so... Oh, I'm the worst when it comes to uh, remembering anything. Yeah, slugs. Um, Juan Picar Simon, Simon, uh, Spanish film set in Boston, oddly enough. And uh, it's about this killer who's running around a college campus killing people and uh, is like chainsawing a lot of them to death. And it's aggressively gory, like uh, outrageously gory, um, uh -huh. more than it needs to be. And it's beautiful to watch. But it's really fucking stupid, and it kind of ends on a what the fuckery that I feel like Glenn Danzig had to have really appreciated. Uh, it's also again '80s. He seems to pass like '92, just like does not give a fuck about um, any movies for whatever reason. Um, he's he's a gatekeeper, damn it. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, so I would say that Peace is probably an influence, if only because it's so outlandish. Um, and has tits and blood, which are his two favorite things, I guess. Uh, the the uh, the detectives that that's like there's kind of like a detective thing going on in there, right? Yeah. Um, and actually, yeah, I was the say detectives the are uh, there is a direct parallel to pieces with the detectives. There are characters much like those in in pieces that actually would work really well. Yeah, and and I was gonna say those are some of the most just straightforward funny moments yeah. of this movie. Like if people are going into Veronica for laughs because they heard the whole, you know, the room comparison or whatever, um, you know, some of it is as ridiculous funny as you've heard. Some of it is just kind of like, this is awful. But um, those, all the detective scenes are just hilarious. Yeah. So many ridiculous funny lines in there. Yeah, I, uh, I got a good kick out of those. Those were a good reprieve from all the fucking stripping yeah. Um, and then the only other piece I have on my little list is Howling 2. Uh, that kind of ties into the third segment. Uh, I imagine Glenn Dan you know, have you seen Howling 2? Uh, I feel like it's probably one of those movies I rented back in high school, but I haven't seen it since then, if anything. It has probably the best subtitle of all time. Um, Howling 2, Sturba, Werewolf, Bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite titles of all time. Um, but it uh, it has this great uh, theme song uh, by some band called Babel that I could never find. Uh, and it's at the end. So it's got. Um, uh, oh, fuck. Uh, shit. What's her name? Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. Sybil Danning. Um, so mm. Sybil Danning, uh, well known for having. Uh, a good pair of tits on her. Uh, as Lynn Danzig <laughs> probably has said at some point. Uh, so 
Sybil Danning in this, she plays the she plays Sturba, the the uh, titular uh, titular werewolf bitch, <laughs> and she uh, at one point just strips her entire top off and just big old set of titties just plummets out, and yeah. she uh, is she's very campy and fun, but she has kind of that vibe of our. Um, Bathory esque character in in the third segment, including like her even her robe thing and crown are very similar to what Sybil Danning uh, would wear mm. in Howling Two. And uh, once the credits roll, you get this montage of a bunch of scenes from the movie set to this um, Howling theme song. And a big part of it is they just keep taking that like maybe at best two second clip of her shirt being pulled off. Uh -huh. And they just keep showing it. So it's, it is throughout the song. And I, I and I, I think because the director, um, Philippe Mora, uh, I guess just like, or maybe the producers were just like, we got her, we got her to do it once. We got to use it as many times as possible. We, we got to get yeah. our money's worth out of Sybil Danning's titties. And so it just keeps stripping off and off and off while the song's playing. Um, and I, when I was watching this movie, I was like, man, I bet Glenn Danzig watched the credits to Howling 2 a lot. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I, uh, no, I, I'm pretty sure there's a heavy influence there. So ridiculous. That's great. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to go ahead and list down the finished puzzle, and then we'll get into any closing thoughts. Uh, finished puzzle for Veronica includes Eyes Without a Face, of course. Uh, Wishmaster, Sin City, Mortal Kombat, Heavy Metal, French Cinema in general, Blood and Black Lace, Orgasmo, Spirits of the Dead, The Countess, Daughters of Darkness, House of a Thousand Corpses, Creep Show, Tales from the Crypt, Suspiria, Mother of Tears, Pieces, and Howling 2. So we got a, uh, a nice list of... Uh, uh, Much better movies, yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's the way to put it. Uh, any any closing thoughts on this one? You know, I I've I've shit on Danzig's film a lot um, mm. during this podcast. Uh, I and it's it's so weird. I I love so bad they're good, quote unquote, movies. Mm. And most of the time, I come out of them with like an appreciation for the director. Uh, and some sort of respect, and I, I don't really take them as, you know, oh, these suck, it's more, these are entertaining for a different reason. Mm -hmm. And I, this might, this is one of those where it's legitimately just kind of a bad movie. Mm. Um, but what I appreciate, and the reason I would suggest people actually go ahead and purchase it, um, A, Glenn Danzig does seem like a legitimately nice person, and I w I'm very curious to see what else he creates. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's nice to support filmmakers like that. But also, it gives the viewer a lot of time to kind of take in the shitty, like, fun shitty moments. Mm -hmm. And it's honestly, like, a really good party movie. Yeah. Because the biggest problem with movies like, say, The Room, I guess, is that it, there's so many things happening that are, like, meme-worthy, I guess, that you tend to miss a few of them because everybody's like talking over it and making their quips. And the beauty of, of Veronica is that you have like a good five minutes between each <laughs> moment that you want to talk about and you want to shit on. Uh -huh. um, and there's something kind of nice about that. You know, it's, it's the slow burn 
of party movies. Uh, I don't really recommend watching it by yourself. Uh, it definitely got exponentially better when I was, um, I was kind of live tweeting it and my wife was in the room. So we were kind of talking about it. Sure. And that helps immensely. I think if you had a group of like six people, maybe it would be a fucking blast in the, and a half. So I, I recommend Veronica to people just on the understanding that it is not a good movie. Sure. <laughs> it is legitimately one of the worst productions I've ever seen. <laughs> Um, and that includes like Beast of Yucca Flats, like, like <laughs> it's up there with one of the absolute bottom of the barrel worst movies. Right. But I, I want Glenn Danzig to keep making stuff. I cannot wait to watch his vampire spaghetti Western. Mm -hmm. I hope he learned a bit from this probably didn't, but it'd be cool. Um, so overall just, it's an interesting movie. Yeah. I, I I agree. I, I if I was to ever watch this again, I did watch it by myself. I it, it would be to watch it with a crowd. Um, I think it could be very fun. Like I said earlier, there are some legitimately funny uh, moments and lines in this, and then there's the so bad it's good funny stuff, and then there's just a lot of bad. Uh, but it it uh, it it wasn't. You know, it wasn't the worst thing I've sat through, and I certainly had plenty of laughs, whether they were intentional or unintentional. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'd say it's not—it's not something that I—I I could really say is all bad. I do think, like you said, like a uh, a, a recommendation, but with a with a warning that it's not a good movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree with that. So uh, this is great, Michael. Uh, as I always do, I always ask my guests to recommend uh, a movie they've watched recently that uh, our listeners should check out. Um, hmm. This makes you realize I don't think I've ever actually finished your podcast. <laughs> yeah, the, the end is always the, uh, the part that I think people, you know, of any podcast where people check out. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, I, let's see. Recently, uh, I've been watching a lot of either Vinegar Syndrome or stuff on Mubi. Mm -hmm. uh, I recently rewatched In the Cold of the Night, which is available as a Blu-ray from uh, from Vinegar Syndrome, and that's a uh, it's nineteen ninety. It's kind of a Skinamax type film, mm. and uh, it is legitimately boatloads of fun. Um, and I have a review of that on my YouTube channel that you can check out. Um, on that same YouTube channel, I also have a review of the 70s uh, video nasty classic Island of Death. <laughs> Highly recommend that film as well. That's streaming on Amazon Prime. And uh, also, I've heard tell there's this little movie, this little indie film called The Head mm. that is now on Amazon for a very, very low price that people can partake in and is apparently uh, a pretty good time. <laughs> That is uh, a really good suggestion right there. I, I agree. And maybe uh, go go rent that on Amazon and then uh, come listen to the live episode from last year. I think it's episode, I don't know the number, but it's on our feed somewhere. Check out the live episode on the head because it is, uh, it was a fun, it was a fun talk. That's for sure. Yeah, I think so. I think, we, you know, there's some sexy voices attached. <laughs> there you go. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, aside from the head, where can people find uh, the rest of the stuff that you do? Um, I'm, I'm pretty prolific on Twitter, uh, just at Michael Keane. Simple, simple. I beat the guitarist or whoever or the Christian writer <laughs> to, the, to the handle. Um, so at Michael Keane on Twitter, 
Uh, I have a Facebook page, which is, I think it's like at Michael Keane Filmmaker is the shorthand because I couldn't find anything else that wasn't taken. Uh, and then on YouTube, um, you can find me. Uh, I think it's Photog Torpedo is the like URL, something like that. Um, I'm very good at this sort of promotion <laughs> thing. And uh, of course, all my movies, you can find out more just by searching Manatee Party. Uh, that is our production company. Uh, we have another movie that will hopefully come out this year if we can actually start production, mm. but who knows when this quarantine will end. Sure. Well, in the meantime, uh, at least we can continue reviewing movies and uh, and and watching them, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's always fun, too. So, all right, man. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for doing the show, and maybe we'll get thank you back you. one of these days. It was a fun time. Yeah, you fucking better. We're queer. We're geeks. We're, We're queeks. queeks. Superheroes, Star Wars, Broadway, Drag Race. So if you're super gay, super nerdy, or anything in between, listen to Queeks today. Wherever fine podcasts are sold. And find us on Instagram at Queeks Podcast. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michael Keane about Verotica. Uh, it was a fun one, I gotta say that. Uh, but yeah, uh, that is a crazy movie. If you haven't seen it, um, I, I think it's worth a watch, especially if you're into, you know the so bad it's good kind of a thing where it's just absolutely insane and you just have no idea what the hell you're watching it can it can be a lot of fun so uh obviously the show has been very different the last few weeks we we missed a week here we we did a whole bunch of episodes one week and we started the missing pieces series uh just this past monday we have a bunch of those planned on recording and i just want to say if you're out there listening and you would like to join me for one of those do get in touch because i'm planning on recording a lot of them in the coming weeks and of course still trying to cover as many new movies as we can there's not going to be many in the theater if any well, none. I mean, what am I talking about? There's going to be none in the theater because the theaters are all closed. But the ones that would be theatrical releases are going to maybe continue to come home for $20 a rental, which maybe we'll do some of those. We'll see what happens. But there's also VOD movies. There's Netflix movies, all that kind of stuff. So we'll try to cover as much of those new release movies that we can watch at home as we can and we'll try to do missing pieces we'll try to do maybe some breaking it apart and maybe some other new special series that i maybe have planned that i'm maybe going to try to get started here soon so lots of new content coming to this podcast while we're locked in our homes and trying to survive and not die from an airborne virus that's threatened to kill half of the planet but Let's continue just having fun and talking about movies as much as we can. You can rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser. You can subscribe to Piecing It Together on pretty much any podcast app. You can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And you can even go to our Patreon and... Give us a little support there. We're going to try to make as much new content for you over there as we can. So, uh, you know, throw a, throw a few bucks that way and we'll make even more new content for you. So, uh, speaking of new content, I also have a new album out. It is called Beater, the original motion picture soundtrack. It features the 
score to a feature film that I recently composed the music for, and that film is coming out later this year. Uh, but the album also features the music from six short films I did with the same director, Chris Johnson. And it is an hour and 45 minutes of music. The album is available for sale on all the digital music services like iTunes and Amazon and CD Baby and all that stuff. It's also available to just stream on Spotify and Google Play Music, all that kind of stuff too. So I do encourage you to go check that out. But uh, I'm going to play a track from that now, as I'm probably going to do for the next bunch of episodes in a row. So what track should I play for this one? There's, there's a couple heavy tracks on there. I should probably play one of those to go along with this Veronica thing. Uh, I think I'm going to go with this track called Violence Begets Violence. This is actually from the film Beater. It's a, uh, it's a pretty heavy track from one of the, uh, the, the big dramatic moments of the film. And I think it's a good one. It fits this a little bit. Uh, since I played all of my more metalish tracks already on the show many times over there's no need to go back to those tracks like uh burnout and scarecrow you can go look those ones up they're they're available to stream or buy wherever you listen to music but uh let's play violence begets violence this is from the new album beater and uh, enjoy it and we'll be back with more piecing it together next week
and All Points West. 